If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to And Security for All. And all of our regulars, welcome back to another great episode. So happy Veterans Day to all my colleagues and peers and all my friends that I actually served in the Navy with. So um, there's so many cybersecurity practitioners that are former military. So I hope you all out there make it a special day. And thank you all for your service that you served because... um, when I was in the military, it was pre-war, and there's a lot of people um, that I would love to thank for all your hard work. So again, happy Veterans Day. Today, we're going to talk about um, a common word that we see often, and we see it daily and hear it all the time. We're going to talk about phishing attacks. My uh, guest today caught my attention at one of our events. For those of you that don't know what we do, I think most of you do know, we put on cybersecurity conferences throughout North America, and we've been all over the country in 2022. We're starting to wind down. We have four more events. Next week, uh, we're heading to sunny San Diego. I hope it's going to be sunny because it's a little cold in St. Louis today. Um, Yesterday, we were almost at 80, and this morning, it was like, down in the 20s, but now it's around 40. So I'm looking forward to heading out to San Diego and catching some warmth again. Um, Then we have, then we are almost done with 2022. We go to Columbus, we go to Atlanta, and we wrap up 2022 just to get ready for 2023 and do it all over again. But it's been a great year. It's been really fun seeing everyone back out in person. Again, my guest, I met him this year out on the road. Um, Like I said, he caught my attention because he was one of our speakers at, I believe, our Des Moines event. And when he was opening up his presentation, he had a question for the audience. And he said, the question was, does anyone believe phishing attacks can be solved? And then he said, um, you know, he was actually asking the audience and I was like, huh, that is a really good topic to bring on my show. So um, I hope to hear some of your input out there today because I'm really curious. I would believe most people would say no, but Carlos um, Munens, and I probably just messed up his name. He's the territory manager of Cloudflare. Um, He is going to talk. We're going to talk about this. And he brought that up in um, Des Moines. So let's welcome Carlos to the show. And Carlos, um, welcome. How are you today? Uh, Kim, I'm fantastic. Thanks so much. Really a pleasure to reconnect with you in person a few months back and here uh, through this event. Um, Yeah, I mean, I always like to kind of start off with some bold questions, get people to think, like, is it even possible to solve some of these big problems we have in cybersecurity? And uh, just to give you kind of a minute on myself, I've been in IT, uh, sales, architecture, little engineering over the years. Uh, for 25 years, and I've been solely focused on uh, cybersecurity for 20 years. And for the past about five years, 
uh, fishing protection. And so fishing is something that um, everybody struggles with. Uh, my wife, you know, my kids, our customers, partners, uh, the Uber driver from the airport, or everybody's got a comment about how fishing disrupts the way that they work, live, and play. And so it's, it's a big problem in cyber, as we all know. About 91% of uh, cyber incidents start with a missed fish, uh, per Deloitte report um, about a year ago. And uh, no one argues with that fact. It's a big challenge for everybody. Well, for um, those, I know we just had a bunch of people join in on the show and they may not have heard my intro, but um, Jonathan sure. Kimmett, welcome back to the show. What are your thoughts, Jonathan? He's a CISO at the University of uh, Tulsa. Do you believe uh, phishing attacks can be solved? Um, I'd like to hear everyone out there, you know, I may not be able to address it, but that's like a little poll we're doing today. Can phishing attacks be solved? So is it, are we going to talk about, is it the people or is it the software? But um, tell, tell us a little bit. First of all, I know I messed up your last name because you, you have like this rhyming thing and I forgot, <laughs> I forgot, I forgot to ask you before we, on pre-show, how do I say your last name again? No, great. Thanks for asking, Kim. So it's Carlos Munoz. Okay. You had something you were like, it rhymes with? Yeah, pretty much rhymes, the first name of the last name. Yeah, right? Carlos It's been pronounced Munoz. so many different ways. So yeah, sorry yeah, about thanks that. Thanks for asking. No, you're great. So how did you tell us how, how long you've, you know, how'd you get in the industry? What, you know, where'd you start? How'd you end up where you are now? How'd you end up being a speaker for Cloudflare? And just tell us a little bit about your journey, especially for those that are listening um, for, on the radio show and Security for All, because many of the viewers out there are trying to tap into cybersecurity and most of our LinkedIn live people are already cybersecurity practitioners. So just give us a little bit of a background on you. Sure. So many moons ago, I became a degreed engineer from the University of Illinois. Always knew I wanted to be in technical sales, right? Try to translate the, uh, the geek speak to the C speak if you get my drift. And uh, yeah, technology got me excited. I can't forget when Windows 95 was launched and the internet was effectively born uh, for all of us to enjoy and use as we do today. Um, and from there, I went to a network infrastructure company called Cisco Systems. I was there for a few years, really got a great education about how the internet works. And after that, I went to uh, Checkpoint Software as their global accounts uh, leader uh, out of Chicago. Uh, and I thought I knew security until I got into the industry. I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, had a really fantastic run there along with several other organizations. Um, been doing a lot of startups for the past decade. A couple really good ones, a couple not that great. But the last one was definitely a good one. Um, Area One Security, uh, preemptive phishing protection with the company for a little over three years now. And uh, in the spring, actually April of this year, uh, we were purchased by Cloudflare and uh, really thrilled to be part of Cloudflare, a uh, fantastic uh, global network that protects and accelerates corporate networks, websites, web applications, you know, like DNS, DDoS defense, WAF, gotten into the uh, zero trust business. So zero trust network access, zero trust uh, email security, which we'll talk a lot about today. 
um, as well as uh, really infrastructure as a service business. So we've got a great network. You use our compute and storage as well to host your fantastic web apps. And then finally, we have some uh, network as a service uh, products as well, like firewall as a service, WAN as a service, those types of offerings. Great publicly tra traded company, one of the top six uh, largest companies in the world based on market capitalization for cybersecurity, that is. Well, we love Cloudflare. They do almost all of our events. So if anyone ever wants to check out Cloudflare, just come check them out at our events. They usually have a booth at our event. Um, Jonathan was my first one to say, phishing is a social problem, very hard to solve with a technical solution. So you do you believe there is a technical solution to like give us some examples of some sort of phishing attack that you've seen that tell us about it and what do you think could have been di differently with a technical solution? Yeah, so let's define what solution is. I think everybody in the cybersecurity industry in particular is going to tell you there is no 100% solution, right? Um, whereas if you focus on phishing protection in particular, most customers are kind of satisfied with having a solution that's about 80 to 90% effective. And they may invest a lot in multiple layers, lots of people, process, not just technology, and feel like, you know what? I've done all we can do. We just can't solve this problem. We're just going to have to let 10 or 20% of the fish in, and hopefully the, the human layer can defend us from that gap. Um, I, I'm here to explain there is hope. I'm seeing some fantastic um, outcomes uh, with our customers and partners. And so, you know, that said, would 99% effectiveness be a solution to phishing? Probably. I think people would be really happy. And so let me kind of show you what that means maybe in my world, like what my experience has been. We always talk about um, drinking your own champagne, right? So obviously... My email box has been protected by our technology um, for three years and two months since I've been at the company. And yes, I'll get you know some gray mail here and there. Yeah, I went to an event, FutureCon in Des Moines. Some of the folks thought maybe I was a customer and they're emailing me. That's, that's not phishing, right? That's not really even spam, although you might think it is. Um, but first time I got a fish in my inbox was actually just a few weeks ago first real fish. And so what's fantastic about that experience is that if you go three years without a real fish hitting your inbox, when you see it, right, all the security awareness training, they're all put through, right? Some once a year, some every day I've seen, um, it really gets put to great use because that fish stuck out like a sore throat. Can you it tell was, us? Can you yeah, tell us what that I can, was? Yes, I can. Okay. I can. Because it was, like I said, we're not perfect. We're 99 point something percent effective. And this one, um, it was very hard to detect. So it was, I'm sure a lot of folks understand why, but let me explain what it is. Um, it was an account takeover that was suffered by one of our partners. So an adversary went after a very name brand, well-known, um, cybersecurity and IT reseller and compromised one or maybe even more of their accounts and sat in the email accounts, looked at something that would have been interesting, found me as an interesting target 
within uh, Cloudflare. I'm like, oh, great, I'm important. <laughs> Someone took the time to come after me with a targeted attack. And um, effectively, it was this. It was a negotiation, like subject line between me, you know, my company, the supplier, and the customer. And in the body of the email, is very benign. It was literally one sentence. I don't know if it was even 10 words that said, here's your revised proposal. Please let us know what you think, period. There was no, hi, Carlos, hope you're doing well. There was no signature, right? Um, didn't really even know who it came from. Looked at the, knew it was suspicious, wasn't expecting the email, right? So looked at the sender address and I'm like, hmm, that's so-and-so's real email address. But I'm not expecting anything. And I see in the attachment, it was, it just looked weird, the formatting. I knew better because I wasn't expecting it. So I immediately clicked our button. It's called the fish fillet. And effectively what that is, is just a way to report to the security incident response team at Cloudflare that I thought this was fishy. So they did an analysis hours later. They're like, yes, this is definitely something that's fraud related, um, possibly could be malicious in terms of malicious content. So dug a little deeper. It was a weaponized attachment. It was targeted against me and the machines that we use at Cloudflare. So somehow they figured out we're using a particular type of machine. Um, so dug a little deeper, notified the CISO of that organization that it seemed as though they had been, they suffered an account takeover attack. And this was all the information with regards to the attack that I had received. Um, had a conversation with that organization. They're putting in some compensating controls to keep that from happening again. Um, but yeah, really difficult attack, right? Supply chain, trusted relationship. This is somebody that I had emailed back and forth for just about three years about this particular customer. And so something that you would fall for possibly if it was maybe a different time, a different situation, um, but I knew better because I wasn't negotiating anything with this customer. It's been a while, right? So if it's unexpected, ask, why am I getting this email? Who's sending me this email? Well, right? you you do know better. So what do we do, you know, with the people that don't know better? You know, your other peers at Cloudflare mm -hmm. that are maybe just on the admin side of things. Um that's How? a great question. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I got an attaboy for detecting the fish. Right? Well, that's, that's good. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> oh, awesome. Good. Thanks, Carlos. <laughs> not letting us get compromised. Right. Um, so, you know, I always like to talk and one of our co-founders mentions this a lot. Uh, Oren Falkowitz, he talks about the seatbelt and the, and the airbag. Right. And so I think we all know best to wear a seatbelt right? Make sure you're wearing that seatbelt in case something happens, at least you're protected. In our world, what that means is, is security awareness, right? Just make sure you know who you're communicating with, why you're getting this email. Does it make sense that you're getting this email now? Does the language make sense? Are they trying to get you to do something in an urgent manner, right? Those are red flags in terms of sentiment and tone when those things change. But think about, you know, technology as the airbag, because sometimes, and you know, could have happened to me, thank God it didn't, but sometimes we get distracted, right? We're on our mobile device, 
something maybe sounds too good to be true, but I still want to click on it and see what it's all about. We don't take the time to, to hover over the email and check to see the sender address, right? We don't listen to our gut and say you should know better and not engage. Sometimes we're just human, right? Sometimes we forget to put our seatbelt on. So use a technology, and it could be multiple technologies. I'm not saying one technology is better than the other, or even if you're even one technology is enough in terms of phishing defense. Um, you've got to think about that. Not everybody's going to wear their seatbelt. Sometimes you just forget, oh, I'm just going around the corner and lo and behold, an accident happens, right? So carelessness is just uh, sometimes a human thing. And so we have to have that seatbelt and airbag approach. How effective do you feel? Because I'm just kind of thinking about my own emails and most of my emails mm -hmm. come with attachments, um, just with you know, the venues we work with, the sponsors we work with, the contracts. And, you know, most of my stuff doesn't, most of my stuff, knock on wood, is clean. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's going to go to my spam folder if it is, you know, um, something bad. And, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I'm, I'm pretty good, you know, at being able to tell. But, um, and it kind of goes into the question that Jonathan has is what would be a good common definition of a fish? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So a fish is effectively an impersonation attack. That's what it is. So an adversary pretending to be someone that you trust, that is effectively a fish. Now there are different kinds of fish. There are targeted fish. There are fish that are maybe targeting an organization or a particular individual. In the case that I described, the attack that I had, that was partly targeting a company, right? They wanted to see if they could target me and then get access to my trusted access within Cloudflare. So a fish is not a spam. A spam is effectively a message that can go out to millions of organizations, millions of people. So it's a cast a wide net. It's not targeted. They haven't done reconnaissance. They're just spraying and praying. That's effectively what a spam is. A fish is something that's typically targeted to an organization or an individual within that organization where someone is trying to impersonate a company, maybe your company, your suppliers, your partners, or someone you just trust, right? Someone you trust within email. Sorry about my background noise. My neighbor's lawn care people just showed up. So um, perfect timing, you know. <laughs> I don't think they ever do their lawn on Fridays. So um, sorry about that. But what are some, I guess going back to what I was talking about, like in my own inbox or my employee's inbox and, mm -hmm. you know, where you're, where you're used to getting a lot of attachments and it is concerning when you say, you know, you saw this from someone and you clicked on the email and it was the person's email that you mm -hmm. knew. So explain to our listeners, um, especially on the Voice America side, because most of our LinkedIn, the people that LinkedIn, they're they're pretty well versed at you know the technology technology and what phishing is. But um, how was someone able to take their email and um, you know explain that? Like, and oh, did to take it, take over their email account. Yeah, and did this person did he know that happened from his email? Let's start with the end. Um, no, this person did not know. 
that his uh, or her, I don't want to expose anybody, um, did not know that their email account was taken over. So one of the most popular ways to take over uh, an email account is to send what's called a, a credential harvesting attack. So the most impersonated brands for credential harvesting attack uh, attacks today are Microsoft and LinkedIn, for example. Um, Microsoft because so many folks use it, right? And then LinkedIn because it's a community of trusted folks that you do business with. And it's very easy for the adversary to see who you're connected with, who you like, right? Who you make comments about their posts. And oh yeah, Carlos and Kim, for example, have a trust relationship, right? So they might take advantage of that trust. Um, getting to kind of how the market um, currently addresses this problem. Um, it's really validated by this research that Deloitte did about a year ago, where they determined that about 91% of all incidents start with a missed fish. That's a really big statement. And it hasn't gotten any better in 20 years since products have been you know, commercially available. And so this commercial, I want to go back just a little deeper on the credential harvesting attack. So they'll send you an email that looks like Microsoft, for example. Please confirm your credentials. And it sends you the email and probably from a spoofed address. So like an address that may look like Microsoft, but it isn't, right? Maybe the O is an A or the I is an L type of thing, right? So it's not really hosted by Microsoft, not being sent by Microsoft. And so in the body of the message, they'll try to use a, a real Microsoft logo, right? Oh, wow, that looks pretty legit. Click here to confirm your credentials or you'll be locked out by the end of business. They try to create some sort of sense of urgency to get you to do it right away. So of course you don't wanna get locked out. So many folks and industry average is about 10% of folks fall for this. Click on the link type in their username, type in their password, hit enter. And lo and behold, what they did was is they gave their username and password to a hacker. And so they harvest all of these credentials. Many times the company that does the, these are real companies, by the way, companies that have hackers that work for them. They have organizational structures like a corporation. And they, some of these companies are just in the business of harvesting. So like farming, like gathering credentials. And then they'll go ahead and sell it to another organization, another hacker group that is in the business of phishing. Okay, great. I've got all of these records. Yep, these look good. I'll buy a block of records for maybe a dollar a record. And then they'll sort through it and they'll, oh, we want to go after Cloudflare, Carlos, right? Let's put together a phishing campaign so that we can target him and try to get him to click and 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 you know, expose his maybe credentials or click on a, download an attachment and, you know, infect his machine. And this is something that folks fall for all the time. Um, what I want to get into in a little bit is kind of the, the vision of where the industry is going and how we're going to be able to keep those attacks from being successful. I, I'm hoping because we're coming up to Christmas and it seems like cybersecurity practitioners have had some Christmas presents the last couple of years and haven't been able yeah, to have Christmas. So hopefully everyone's staying safe out there so all of you guys can have um, your holiday season because the last couple of years, you know, you guys have had some uh, 
you know, the industry's had some pretty big uh, problems. Um, so thank God you caught that fishing attack. So you weren't like the next solar winds or something. Oh there. God. Right. So, um, but what is, um, and, and I guess, do you, do you believe that like the vendors, you know, the, the MSPs are really more of a target because they are the outlet to, you know, all the enterprise companies out there? Yeah, MSPs, no doubt about it. Anybody that has access, privileged access into an organization uh, is definitely a threat. It doesn't, need, doesn't have to be an MSP, but that's been the trend lately with uh, Casilla and SolarWinds and lots of other organizations like that. Um, I always question, because there's companies in the email security space that will ask you, Kim, in order for us to protect your business, we need full access to your internal business email communication. And so I think about this for a second in light of supply chain compromises. If you give a vendor, and it doesn't have to be an email security vendor, it could be any vendor, privileged access. And in the case of an email security vendor, yes, it's okay, vendor A, to look at all of my internal business email communications. The flaw in that is, is when adversaries know that a company has that sort of access, now that company becomes a huge target because they can compromise their emails, right? Just like I described earlier, maybe with a credential harvesting attack, there's other ways to do it, obviously. Um, and now they can sit in the inbox and see all of your internal business email communi communications, Kim. Not good, right? Imagine if they were doing business with a competitor of yours. Now they have complete visibility into everything that you're talking about inside your business and can literally sell that visibility to an adversary. I don't know if it would be a competitor, but sell that to an adversary that could then monetize it. So not a great place. Um, I would always question uh, privileged access to any confidential information of really any third party. We need to be doing a lot better around third party risk assessments in particular. We can't just say, yes, you answered the spreadsheet questionnaire correctly. You can have access. There's got to be more meat on the bone. There's got to be actual, I think, testing where organizations test third parties to make sure that they're actually as secure as they say they are. So Jonathan, I always like, he, he has lots of good questions for our guests. Um, he said, do you believe that controls like multi-factor authentication and conditional access will help reducing account compromise? Jonathan, I'm gonna pay you later. Great question. So really interesting statistic. I forget the organization that uh, provided this stat, but a typical supply chain, and I know that's a very broad statement, everybody's supply chain is different, right? But a typical supply chain today, about a third of the companies or individuals that you're communicating with are not using multi-factor authentication still. And so in the case of the fish that I received, I mean, I'm guessing, I'm not positive, but I'm guessing they weren't, or this user wasn't using multi-factor authentication because um, usually multi-factor authentication can defend against account takeover attacks. Not always, you know, there's other ways to get around uh, even MFA, multi-factor authentication, um, but that is a huge best practice. You've gotta have uh, multi-factor authentication because then 
giving up your username and password is not enough, right? You've got to have that one-time password to get into uh, the user's account. So that that's really huge. Um, the other piece, and I'm just going to try to, I forget the last piece of that question. Let me read this. Um, sorry, what was the second part of the question? Oh, the there second, Yeah, you got it. Yeah, she yeah, put it in. Yeah, the conditional access. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's part of zero trust, right? We want to make sure that there's conditional access so people don't have carte blanche access to your organization. So one of the uh, big hacks that happened uh, was through a compromised uh, VPN concentrator, for example. And it was a well-known you know, organization that had well-known vulnerabilities. And unfortunately, not everybody patches their systems quickly, right? And many times there's good reasons for that. Um, but the adversaries don't care, right? They're going to come after you, patch or not. And so they could have access to a VPN concentrator, which in many cases, a user that has access to the network through a virtual private network access um, has then access to every device on that network. So we've got to provide a zero trust methodology to assuming zero trust means I do not trust you. So I'm going to give you the most limited access that you need in order to do your job. Because if you are compromised, we don't want your compromised access to take down our business, for example, right? So let's give them a pinhole, not carte blanche access to the house. What are your thoughts on, I am like, uh, I'm terrible about using um, Venmo, Uber Eats, like crazy, I use Uber Eats I, like all the time. <laughs> and, um, you know, it just both, and I use Venmo all the time, and it's it's really you you really feel like with Venmo you're really putting yourself really at a lot of risk. It's convenient, but it's just so easy. There's no multi-factor authentication. I guess you could put it on there. Some people can put a code on there, but most of the people you're seeing what everyone's doing. I don't know if you're familiar with Venmo. You can see what everybody's doing. I mean, it, it seems like it's probably a disaster waiting to happen. You know, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on tools like that? Well, first thing, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with Venmo. I don't use Venmo. Um, but it's I, a lot it's, like PayPal or, you know, you're just, like you're Zelle. just trans, yeah, you're just, you know, transferring money to yeah. someone okay. easy. And you know, yeah, I, I use American Express. So I figure if I'm going to get hacked, American Express is going to probably protect me. So I definitely don't use like, I, I won't use my, you know, like debit card or real money. I try to use American Express because I feel like I'm pretty safe that they're going to back up if there's fraud. Yeah, so I, I, you know, try to limit the number of accounts that have access to your bank account. I think you bring up a great point there, Kim, right? I mean, if you have so many of these payment applications that have access to your bank account and one of them gets compromised, you have a big issue, right? So I try to limit it. I, I literally just have a couple because um, I want to get along with my friends and family, right? Mm -hmm. um, and each each time that I do it, I use multi-factor authentication. So I get, you know, a, a text out of band, for example, or an email or something, uh, depending on how you like to be able to receive that one-time password. So you've got that extra uh, layer of protection. Um, I mean, for example, like, I know this is a little off topic, but if you've got a 401k <laughs> online access, you better use a one-time password, right? Because Agreed. you know what happens if an adversary hacks into your accounts 
and takes your money to Bermuda or wherever, right? I'm just saying a place. Um, the, com the company basically says they're sorry, right? There is no FDIC. <laughs> there's, no, there's no American Express backing you up. You've lost your 401k. So don't trust your computer. Like a lot of times you're like, oh no, but I always use this computer. I, I trust this computer. So I shouldn't have to do a one-time password. Well, like the example earlier about how that individual that I was communicating with over the years didn't know that their email was hacked. Many times you don't know that your computer has been hacked. So no, do not trust your computer. Don't click that box. Continue and it to use... says it all the time. You it know, does. If you're, it's yeah. like, do you are you on a trusted device? And if that's your device that you're using all the time, I can see people just saying, "Yeah, I'm on a trusted device." Right. You know. So. Right. I told one of my customers about this. He's like, "Oh yeah, you're totally right. They should almost eliminate that question. You really have zero trust, right? You cannot trust your computer because you really don't know no. when you've been had." So that's, that's so what if you place. say no? So you say, no, I'm not on a trusted device. What's what happens next? Yeah. So then you'll, you'll be asked to generate a one-time password and then okay. it'll ask you, would you like to receive that password over email or text or another manner? So usually it's email or text. And um, it just gives you that extra layer of security that the adversary wouldn't have access. To. See, that is a very, very, very simple tip for many people out there is just to say no, because I bet you 90% of the people say yes. Right. You know, so. And it's because they don't want to have to deal with the one-time password and they're, oh, who wants, to, who wants me? Well, they'll take a dollar, they'll take a thousand, they'll take a million, they'll take whatever they can get. And if you're with a bank, you know, I do a lot of wire transactions and I'm with a smaller bank and they, I love, they, it's at least a four phone call process but I love that it's a four phone call process, you know, yes. the more, the better, you know, I think that it's a, it's a smaller business bank. And I'm, I'm, whenever I see the owner out, I'm like, you guys are doing it right. You know, cause you know, the smaller banks probably aren't the bigger banks. I don't know if they're doing that money calls, you know, I don't know what the big banks do, but I feel safer lately with the smaller banks. That, yeah, I mean, that have that, a good security posture and check, you know, you, you yeah. know right away if they do or don't. That's so. right. That's right. You know, I, I could give some other advice, maybe more for the Voice of America people, right? At, at the end of the day, don't trust anything, right? When it says, do you trust? No, do not trust. Let's just be clear on that one, right? Um, another one really is anytime you're doing any sort of banking, make sure you have um, a password to like go to the counter and if, to, if to you want to have a limit on it, hey, if you want to take out more money than your daily limit, this could not just be ATM, it could be physical, you know, at the bank, it could be online if there's a limit or if you have to call, trying to move money around, make sure you've got a password. It, everyone has them, the big banks in particular. Like it's not just good enough for you to know my name, my address, my birthday, my social security number, most Americans have had their social security numbers exposed. Make sure the bank has a password on file for you. So you have that extra, think of it as a one-time password for whenever you're moving money around. So you're not going to get your pockets uh, picked. Um, well, that's and that's, a good an, one. yeah, that's a, another thing, you know, we we've turned into a country of convenience and especially mm -hmm. even more since COVID. Um, it's, you don't really have to go to the bank anymore. You can use this phone, you know, for right. everything. You can deposit, you know, if you get checks, it's just, you know, I, I still get, you know, 
certain checks I still get. So I do deposit them on my phone because it's a lot easier. They get in my car and go right. to the bank. So, you know, I, how, what are we going to see happening with that? Because it's probably really, thank God I don't do a lot of checks. It's just occasionally. It's It's usually like things I get in the mail, like a refund of an overpayment I've made uh-huh. or just, you know, things like that. So it, it's nothing huge, but it definitely is very, very convenient to just do it on my phone. And there's not really a lot. And, and this is a different bank. This is not the small bank I'm talking about that I do my business banking with. This mm-hmm. is my personal bank that is a very large bank. And it is, it's pretty um, easy. They're, they're really not asking for much to do that deposit. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about my best practice. And I'm super, super secure. Some some of my friends get annoyed by it. But uh, well, <laughs> like, that's no, good. Like, yeah. like friends don't like friends get on public Wi-Fi, right? You don't know what's who else is on yeah. that network, for example. But getting back to kind of the banking aspect of it and even one-time passwords, because those can be, you know, hacked. Um, the banking aspect of it is um, when when you're doing banking, like you don't have to have the app on your phone all the time. I always get concerned, like if you lose your phone and it's not password protected and you have your banking apps on your phone and then you might have like a note app on your phone with all your passwords. Well, I don't have that. So I but will some say of that. us might, yeah. <laughs> right? Don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. So whenever I have to deposit that check, Kim, I download the app. Just takes a minute. And then I do it and then I delete the app because I don't want anybody okay, to know that, that's good. that where I bank, right? Because maybe they figured out my password. That's how I got into the phone. And now they can maybe figure that out to get into my banks. The last piece around the one-time passwords is um, there is a way that hackers can, for example, call your cellular carrier if they find out who they are and, and actually ask them to send, you, send them uh, a, a duplicate SIM card, for example. And this is called like uh, sim sim hacking or hijacking. Forget the exact term. But so you've done all the good things, right? You don't trust your computer. You're going to go ahead and get a text to your phone. And lo and behold, that text that came to your phone is also going to the adversary. So now they have that one-time password and they could break in. So call your carrier, AT&T, Verizon, whatever you got, and just say, hey, I want to have a password on my account. So no one can get a copy of my SIM card and stop that threat. So I know it's a little technical maybe for some of the folks, but uh, call your phone company, call your credit card companies, your bank, make sure you've got passwords to do things that you might do over the phone or online. So I have to laugh. My son, he, he's, he's not in cybersecurity. He's not even in the industry, but he's the, he's, probably like you, like his, his password. Um, I don't know where he came up with this stuff because he doesn't really listen to me, but um, he's like 26 and his passwords are like 20 digits, numbers. And he remembers them. He's a genius, you know? And I'm like, Hey, Austin, can I get your Netflix password? And I'm like, forget it. I I don't even want it because it's like, it's, it's so annoying because it's so long and so complicated, you know? So, um, but you know, he remembers it in his head, which I I think that's. Well, I I like Austin. I do the same thing. He and I have something in common. I just, if I can't remember it, then I might have some, some problems. Right. So um, anyway, uh, I'd love to chat, you know, a few minutes about why I feel the fishing solution yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, right? let, let, let's switch over to that a bit because um, I do have, um, oh, Alex Paz said AT&T has account pens. Perfect. I do, yeah, I do use AT&T, so. Nice. And I, so, I wonder so what he means. What does he mean by account pins, though? Are you just talking about yeah. the log on your phone? Or? Right, right. So, for example, if, if an adversary gets your personal information, right, your PII in our industry, personal identifiable information, they can pretend to be you. So they call into AT&T and they say, you know, I'm getting oh, okay. a new phone. Mm -hmm. I need a new SIM card. Can you send me the SIM card? And lo and behold, now the same text messages are going to two phones, for example. That could... That could actually happen. So when someone has, just assume that someone has your personal identifiable information. Now they're going to be prompted by the customer service rep at AT&T to say, okay, Austin, for example, right? Um, what's your password? Mm -hmm. And they are picky about it because I, I have had to, I've, my daughter lost her phone and it was because I didn't know what my pin was. You know, it, it, it was challenging to recover it. So I was happy, mm -hmm. even though I was frustrated, you know. Right. So, so um, yeah, good point, Alex. And I mean, I Alex, you, you, yeah. you would hope that they all, um, that they all do that. But I, I think they ask you to do that when you're setting it up. But I, yeah, don't and, trust, and, right? Yeah. And don't be silly and make your pin your birthday or, you know. Your crazy. dog's name or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um shifting over a little bit, let's because we we're probably got about 10, 10 to 15 minutes left of the show. So okay. let's shift over and talk a little bit more about um what you wh where you wanted to go with this. Yeah. So conversation. To, to discuss a bit about why there's hope to solve the phishing problem. So um couple things. The industry as a whole has created what's called email security products, right? And these products can be embedded in your email security provider, be it like a Microsoft or a Google, for example. Their technologies are definitely getting better. And then if you're a highly targeted individual or organization, you may want to have extra layers of defense. And so those technologies came out over the last you know, 10, 15 years. Very popular, lots of companies that are out there to give you better defenses than what you'll get from your email provider alone. Not free, right? You've got to invest in that. Um, so if you're highly targeted or you're an organization that can afford an extra layer of defense, we highly encourage it. What's happened though, in the fact that 91% of incidents start with a Miss Fish, Miss Fish is an email that came in, we thought it was good, it turns out it wasn't, and it caused damage uh, to the organization or the individual. Um, what has been done as an industry is something called reactive threat intelligence. And so what that means is threat intelligence is just having the knowledge of threats that occur and in, in this you know, topic, it's about phishing, right? So having the knowledge about phishing attacks that have successfully hit their targets, okay? And in our world, that's called uh, patient zero. It's a patient zero attack. So patient zero means we've had zero days to know about this threat. It hits somebody like a virus, right? We've heard about patient zero like around the, the pandemic, right? Like a virus, it hit its target, it was successful, and now it's gonna try to spread or hit other targets. Um, it's all been done on a reactionary basis. So companies like Microsoft, Google, and basically every single email security company out there operates in this manner. 
Kim, they will say, we got your back. If you have a problem with a phishing email, please report it to us. And then we will update our threat intelligence so that the next person is protected. Like they're going to try to do it immediately. It could take minutes. It could take hours, but we're going to do it as quickly as we can. Thank you so much, Kim, for telling us about that threat because now the rest of our customers are going to be protected. And it sounds great, right? Doesn't that sound fantastic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What doesn't sound great is if Kim, you had a bad experience and now your you know, machine has been hacked. Maybe there's a ransomware attack spreading throughout your organization. No one wants to be that patient zero, right? No one wants to be the first person that gets infected. Frankly, no one wants to get infected, right? So there has to be a better way. And so there are technologies that have been created, highly you know, patented, specialized technologies um, that actually hunt for these threats all over the internet. And so the idea is instead of waiting for an email to hit their target and for that person or company to have a bad experience and then telling the vendor about it, why don't we try to get ahead of the threat and try to immunize people and organizations from these phishing campaigns is what they're called in our world. So you have an adversary that you know wants to come after you and they build an infrastructure. Why don't we try to find that adversary, right? That's building an infrastructure like servers, right? And we're going to go ahead and start launching attacks from this particular domain. And a domain in our world means like, we're going to try to launch it from something that looks like the domain of Microsoft, which is Microsoft.com, right? And so wouldn't it be nice to have intelligence around campaigns before they've been weaponized, like for example, before the gun has been loaded, before the gun has been shot at its target. Wouldn't it be nice to know about that? And so that's where the industry is going, hunting throughout the entire internet to find adversaries when they're building their plans to come and attack. It's things that happen in the physical world also happen in the virtual worlds. So that's your answer of how phishing attacks can be um, resolved? Part of it. You know, it's not just um, technology. It's also process. It could not just be one technology. It could be multiple technologies. So think of like your Microsoft and your Google, for example, providing, you know, good, probably very good email security for most people, especially folks that are you know, just using their free accounts. Maybe they're not being targeted. I'm sure you've had better experiences recently than you have in years past. Think about those products as providing you with good daily hygiene, right? Just cleaning the known bad attacks that have been reported to them. And that's great, right? So known good, known bad attacks, good hygiene. But if you need an extra layer of defense, you really want to work with an organization that has the intelligence that isn't reactionary, but is really proactive, right? So that's one piece, we've covered that. The other piece is there's technologies out there that now, since most phishing attacks have to do with malicious links that are in the body of an email, right? Like I'm gonna try to harvest your credentials, or if you click here, we're gonna install malware on your computer, right? We actually, is, as an industry, have a technology called browser isolation. And as it relates to um, email security, it's called email link 
isolation. So any chance that a bad fish hits your inbox and it's a malicious link in the body of the email and you still click on it, we're going to have an airbag that says, hey, if there's anything malicious with this link, it's going to be handled in a scrubbing center or in a data center of the security provider. So all of that malicious content is going to be drawn from the website, is going to sit in the cloud, let's say, that's probably the best way to, to put it, and it's not going to have the ability to touch your computer. So these isolation technologies, they're currently being used by some of the largest banks, insurance companies, really global organizations, because they have the obvious, the resources to use this technology. Um, but I do see several years down the road that these technologies are going to be implemented by uh, other security companies where they can address maybe smaller business as well as uh, home users, maybe even through Microsoft and Google. So that further reduces. I've got a solution that stops 90 something percent of the fish. Some still gets in. We're gonna block most of those threats using an isolated browser or an isolated link. So the malicious content can't attack your computer. So that's you know, kind of bringing it to a, a layman's term, it kind of reminds me of watching those movies that were true, like of people that were in radiation, you know, they got hit by radiation working in, you know, a factory and they all would have to go into a, you know, a, a place and get scrubbed down, you yeah. know, with whatever they scrub. Oh my God. Yes. So it's, it's pretty much the, you know, the same analysis of what was happening when someone got contaminated, you know, with radiation in a factory and then they had to go and get, you know, isolated and scrubbed out and couldn't be around, you know, same thing with exactly. COVID, that same thing with analogy. COVID when people yeah. were working and, co you know, when COVID was at the rise and people were at hospitals and, you know, same thing, they had this, you know, gear up, scrub down and isolate. So it's the same thing as, you know, we're seeing with your computer, with your, your, data being contaminated. Yeah, yeah. I want to also describe um, another new type of phishing attack. It, it was newer to me. I just heard about it this year. So imagine it's actually not called just a phishing attack. It's called a, a hooking attack. Now, this is probably new to everybody on the phone because uh, I had never heard of it and I've been doing this a long time. So uh, a hooking attack is where a message comes into your inbox and it is completely clean. There's nothing wrong with it. And then hours or days later, the adversary changes the domain and makes it malicious. So if someone goes ahead and clicks on that link hours or days later, now it's gonna be weaponized and now it's gonna infect your computer, but it's sitting already in your inbox. So it's like the email security product, it's usually on the outside going in and when it's already in, it can't really do anything about it. So that's been a big challenge uh, for the industry because what'll happen is the adversary to remind you of the email, they'll send you an email and say, hey, did you see that link I sent you yesterday? Totally benign, right? Nothing suspicious about that question but it's gonna make you go back to that email from yesterday and click on it, right? So that's kind of the two ways that they do it. It's kind of like a, I don't know if it's a Trojan horse. I'm trying to think of a good analogy for it because I don't like the word hooking. I don't think that's a great term for it. 
But um, anyway, so there are email security products out there now that can scan for malicious content inside your org. Pretty cool, right? So I could see, oh gosh, we deliver that message as safe yesterday, but today we could see it's bad. Let's automatically remove that message from the user's inbox. It's a, uh, it's almost too, you know, for the, for the user out there, say they come to my conference and we're down to about three minutes. So we can't really talk a lot about this, sure. but you've got 30 vendors, you know, and you've got Cloudflare and all kinds of other, you know, people. And if you could just kind of summarize in short, how does someone pick the best vendor to work with and the best solution to work with when there's so much out there? Does it, you know, almost get overwhelming that you set it aside because you don't even know where to begin? It could be, right? It's a very crowded space. There's definitely dozens of vendors in this space. So I would ask three questions. I think number one question I would ask is, the vendor, I would ask, where do you get your intelligence? How is your intelligence better than what I'm already getting from Microsoft and Google? That's number one. Number two, since Microsoft 365 and Google uh, Workspace are cloud-native technologies, do you natively integrate into the clouds of Google and Microsoft? Because that's going to give you great performance and compatibility. Okay, so with great performance and compatibility gives you better security outcomes. And then I think the last thing you're going to want to ask is, um, do you have the ability to not just inspect emails at the time of delivery, but can, can you inspect and defend, defend against threats that are unknown, threats that have not been delivered yet? And then do you also have the ability to defend against threats that become threats after they've been delivered to user inboxes? So I know it's a lot, um, but cloud wow. native, right? Big deal. Unique threat intel, big deal. Another filter to filter out the noise, right? And then finally, just make sure, hey, can you block stuff before it's hit me? That would be nice because I don't want it to hit me. And then can you remove stuff after it's become bad, after it's been delivered? Right. Well, lot, lots and lots of information today. You guys can go check out Carlos Munez. Munoz, Carlos Munoz. Um, go check him out on LinkedIn. He works for Cloudflare. Um, he can help you out with lots of your questions and answers. Um, we had a lot of great information. Um, I knew the show would go fast. So thank you, yes. Carlos, for um, being here today. I look forward to seeing you out at one of our events soon. And we'll have to have you back because... That went super fast. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, everyone, you guys have a great weekend. Again, happy Veterans Day to all those veterans out there. And um, have a safe weekend. Stay secure um, and have fun and spend some quality time with your loved ones. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.
cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.